Hi, welcome to the fourth edition of uh, Lockdown Culture with me, Ed Vasey, who is none other than the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf, and I'm the associate editor at the magazine. This week, we're dedicating the whole episode to the wonderful Hay Festival, the literary festival that comes from Hay on Wye. It's been described by President Clinton as the Woodstock of the mind. Usually, Charlotte and I are there because for the last three years, I've been chairing Country and Townhouse's annual panel there that gives an insight into what's going on amongst some of the top great British brands. So we're so sad, genuinely sad, not to be in beautiful Hell and It's an absolutely wonderful occasion, a wonderful social occasion, as well as a literary occasion. But we're delighted to tell you that like everything else nowadays, it's all gone digital, so you don't have to miss out. Yes, it really is astonishing what the Hay Festival has managed to lay on from their virtual stages. They've got such an impressive roster of writers and thinkers and performers from all around the world, from Hilary Mantel and Margaret Atwood and Elif Shafak to lots of starry people like Benedict Cumberbatch and Helena Bonham Carter and even the wonderful Yotam Ottolenghi. So we've got some great guests we're going to be talking to later, but we're going to start with the man who founded the festival with his parents back in 1988, Peter Florence. Peter, hello, and thank you so much for joining us at such a busy time. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Peter, it's wonderful to have you. I mentioned um, President Clinton had spoken at the Hay on Why Festival. It must have been extraordinary to have Clinton at your festival. Well, the charisma was extraordinary. But the the big thing about Clinton actually was not him or his appearance. It was that it happened within the context of foot and mouth disease, which came within four miles of hay in 2001. And the community here responded with such extraordinary resilience and generosity, you know, literally washing the tyres of every car that rolled into town in in um, cleansing baths, explaining to people why they couldn't go onto the footpaths. This time around, the challenge is even more extreme. And as, as Charlotte said, we've, we've translated as much as we can of the festival into the digital sphere, which has, you know, been a, a, a very swift and very urgent labour of adventure and and love, actually, because much of what Hay is, as you know, Ed, is, is conversation, is the sharing of ideas and stories. And actually, that translates quite well to audio. So, Peter, can you tell us a bit about what our listeners can expect? We would never have been able to convene uh, the starry cast of, you know, Atwood, Cumberbatch, Armitage, McCrory, Redgrave, Price... Uh, Toby Jones, Tom Hollander. We would never have been able to put all those people on stage in one place to do the Wordsworth 250 anniversary that we've got coming to Hay online. We might not have been able to get both Nobel laureates, Estelle Duflo and Paul Krugman, to come and talk about the situation alongside some of the great entertainers. You know, whether Stephen Fry is telling his version of Troy or Natalie Haynes hers, or whether we have... um, some of the greatest writers, Maggie O'Farrell, Elif Shafak, as you say, are coming to join us online and take questions from the audience because it's a live global gig. And incredibly, over the last five days since we you know, went public with this, we've had over 200,000 registrations from across the globe. Now, if you compare that with the 275,000 tickets we sell for the live event in Wales, 
we have six months to sell those tickets and this has happened in five days so there is an audience which is growing exponentially and that's an extraordinary and wonderful thing we've sold in the last two days we've sold a hundred deck chairs hay festival 2020 branded deck chairs folks which you can put up in your living room and watch <laughs> and pretend you're in a field in wales um, you know people want to know what this year's hoodies were colored you know, these are exclusive branded kit that actually people like it's all part of the festival experience feeling you're you know joining something that you can be a part of it, not just with an hour's attention, but with engagement, with exchange. And the new platforms that we're, we're trialing on Crowdcast give you extraordinary opportunities to invite friends. You can have watch parties. You can um, share conversations with other mates who are watching the same thing. You know, it's, a, it's a new world and it's brave and it's quite scary at times, but above all, it's sort of thrilling. You know, we all talk about will COVID change things fundamentally. Hey, may, be, may become a hybrid festival because you can't lose the social aspect. Charlotte and I block out. Oh, we that, love it. Uh, we bank love it. Weekend yeah. Religiously, it's something we massively look forward to. And it, when it's when it's on next year, we'll definitely be there. But at the same time, you could quadruple your audience because presumably there'll be a whole new audience around the world that is, will have got used, as it were, to engaging with culture online, and will beam in to the live events at Hay 2021? Well, you know, I, I really hope so. You know, there's nothing quite like sitting down on a picnic rug and being with someone, sharing food, breaking bread, sharing an ice cream, being part of the the wonderful hu human response to Hay. The, the, the statistic I always love about Hay is that there have been I think now 58 marriages of people who met at the Hay Festival. Now, those are A, just the ones we know about, and B, just the ones who got married. Now, just think about all the connections that are made under those circumstances. Um, that ain't going to happen online quite the same way. Whoever you are, be you, you know, pauper or prince, wherever you're from, there's something about gathering together and listening to people and you know, engaging that is incredibly valuable and, and deeply moving. And I hope we'll continue in every format forever. Well, what a fantastic place to end. Thank you so much, Peter. And we're all hugely looking forward to the Hay Festival, which has started today on Monday. Thank you so much. My great pleasure. That's amazing to think they've had 200,000 people registering in just five days. Fantastic that so many more people are going to be able to access it. So thank you to Peter for giving us such a great overview. And the good news is that it looks as if there's a huge appetite for it and it'll go on and on. So Ed and I are already looking forward to being there next year. But meanwhile, we're here to bring you some of this year's guests from their virtual stages. Brilliant. Yes, we're here with Ali Aziri, an old friend of mine talk about Shakespeare. Ali has been a fantastic proponent of poetry and Shakespeare and is the collator, I guess, of various best-selling books about poetry. She's really helped to put poetry on the map. Ali, we'd love to hear what your plans are. Um, well, I've curated this event that um, is going to be on Saturday the 30th of May at 5.30, which is based on my anthology Shakespeare for Every Day of the Year. And it will take everyone through a year of Shakespeare. And it's a bit like an album of his greatest hits. 
nearly all A-sides, but there's a few B-sides. So some brilliant extracts that you might not know so well. And we're going to record it legally, socially distant. <laughs> and can't wait, really. That sounds fantastic, Ali. Now tell us, how can you do a year of Shakespeare um, in 15 Well, we minutes? travel through a year, so there might be something interesting that happened in January, for example, Twelfth Night. And then in February, we'll stop for Valentine's Day and have a sonnet um, or two. Um, in March, to mark International Women's Day, there is going to be one of his poems. In Shakespeare's life, when the plague was going on, it shut the theatres numerous times. And in some of the breaks, he wrote best-selling poems, not just the sonnets, which he actually wrote earlier, which were, are still really well-known today, but he actually wrote these long narrative poems, one of which is The Rape of Lucrece, which could honestly have been written today for the Me Too movement. It's so powerful. So it'd be really fun in this, although we'll have Antony and Macbeth and Hamlet, but actually to have some of these lesser-known pieces that, um, that were important as we learn about Shakespeare and his life and his times during the course of the event that we'll also hear some of these um, B-sides. Um, and especially with Dominic and Helena bring them to the light, to life. It, it'll be amazing. Is there anything specifically about the plague in any of the poems? He, he references the plague really often. And as I used to um, watch Shakespeare and listen to Shakespeare, it just seemed a bit of a sort of historical trivia that, say, the friar stops the message coming to Juliet not to kill herself because he's held in plague quarantine or Titania references contagion. or it, it, It's actually quite a lot through his works, but I think it's, we've mainly overlooked it. And now it just you know, will just have such a different resonance. Um, and in fact, when Mercutio hurls out that insult, a plague on both your houses, it, it must have been much more <laughs> um, dramatic and resonant to that audience than I think I'd certainly had ever stopped to think. Now we all know, you know, what you know, what that means, you know, more directly. Thank you so much for your wonderful and infectious enthusiasm about Shakespeare, Ali. That was Ali Aziri, and Ali Aziri is going to be on a virtual stage next Saturday, the 30th of May, at 5.30, with Dominic West and Helena Bonham Carter, who are going to be reading lots of those poems from Shakespeare. And as a very special, exclusive little preview for Lockdown Culture... Here is Dominic West reading specially for us Sonnet 29. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes I all alone beweep my outcast state And trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries And look upon myself and curse my fate Wishing me like to one more rich in hope Featured like him, like him with friends possessed Desiring this man's art and that man's scope, With what I most enjoy, contented least. Yet in these thoughts myself almost despising, Haply I think on thee. And then my state, like to the lark at break of day arising From sullen earth, sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered, such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. That was the wonderful Dominic West. Now, on to our final guest, Ed. So our final guest is Hannah Rothschild, the writer and documentary filmmaker. She's made films about artists like Frank Auerbach, one of my favourite artists, which apparently was a notorious difficult film to make. 
Walter Sickert, as well as a fly-on-the-wall documentary about Peter Mandelson, which I remember very well, which is uh, unintentionally hilarious, mainly because of Peter Mandelson, not because of Hannah Rothschild, in the run-up to the 2010 general election. She's produced a documentary about her amazing great-aunt, the rebellious Rothschild, who was a great jazz patron. She also wrote a book about her, The Baroness, uh, who she tracked down to New York. And we are delighted to have Hannah with us today. Hello, Ed. Hello, Charlotte. <laughs> Hello. Now, Hannah, your first prize-winning novel, The Improbability of Love, was published three years ago. And I particularly loved it because it's told partly from the point of view um, of a painting. I love The Improbability of Love. and um, Thank you. I'm, al- I'm always fascinated about how people come up with plots. I mean, it is a cliche that everyone has a novel inside them. But to my mind... It- I would find it impossible to write a novel. How on earth do you come up with a plot that's going to keep people gripped? Because I was gripped from start to finish on The Improbability of Love. Oh, I'm thrilled. Well, hopefully you will be by the new one too. Well, I mean, I think that I I don't write very systematically. I don't have a long kind of trajectory which I follow, you know, chapter in, chapter out. I tend to write and then when I get a little bit bored, I change it. So that's a very, very unscientific way of writing, which I adhere to. Um, but that that plot really came about through many different um, uh, st- uh, strings, if you like. So when I was little, my dad used to drag us around endless art museums. I mean, that was literally what we did every single weekend. And I used to long for the pictures to talk back instead of just hanging around looking beautiful and inanimate. So in a way, that was just a very, very long held fantasy that one day a painting would turn around and talk to me. And then I made a film about Nazi looted art. And I thought, well, that's got to go in a novel. Um, and as Ed, as Ed, you'll know from your time as culture minister, I mean, there are so many great stories um, in the art world. So you don't have to look very far to find something gripping. Is this your first time at um, Hay, even though it's now v- Hay Wi-Fi or virtual Hay? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm an, I was an early adopter. So I went first there, actually, when I was a documentary filmmaker. I think it must be 20 years ago when Hay was in a very small schoolhouse um, on the outskirts of the town. And we used to sit um, to watch the people presenting. We sat on school chairs. So everyone felt very, and it was rather nice. You kind of went back to your childhood because you were all sitting on these tiny little chairs, um, some of which collapsed under the weight of, uh, of the speakers listening to people. And you went outside and you had picnics in a field. Now, of course, it's terribly um, grand and um, efficient and well run. In those days, I think Peter Florence would forgive me for saying it was a little bit more kind of hand to mouth. I I do really, really miss, you know, basically putting on my wellies and sploshing around a field in Wales and bumping into a friend or, you know, that that haphazardness of a festival in Wales and the brilliance of of Peter's curation, which I think will get online, but it feels more curated. There things happen which you don't expect. Presumably when you launch a book, you have to go to sort of 100 literary festivals. Are you now doing them all on Zoom? Yeah, I'm doing it literally. I mean, I had I had the nicest summer imaginable kind of promoting the book um, from, you know, uh, Sussex to Edinburgh, from Jamaica to Wales. I mean, it, it honestly it was talk about a jammy, a jammy um, summer. It was lovely, which, of course, now is in my front room over a computer, uh, <laughs> which isn't nearly so glamorous or interesting. Um so, yeah, and, and book sales, as you know, fell off a cliff uh, because bookshops closed. And you'd think, of course, we all have time to read. But speaking personally, I'm finding it quite difficult to read and to write. 
I'm kind of become a news junkie and, and everything seems quite fractured. I've lost all powers of concentration. So all I can do is <laughs> scroll through Twitter, check out Instagram and watch Netflix. I can't do anything more than that, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Ed, that I think you're. I think you are um, fairly uh, normal in that. In, in <laughs> for once, <laughs> by, at last. For once, finally, you made it, Mr. Normal. I know you've never had been. No, I, I, that's what. I, and also, my publishers have said that. I mean, in a way, you know, the real news is so exciting that who needs? You know, we had we had Trump, uh, and it was always pretty kind of. You know, that was wow, what next? And then Brexit, beyond wow, fiction. what next? Yeah. Beyond fiction. And now this is beyond fiction. So. I think it is difficult. I, I certainly find writing quite hard. I'm, I kind of find it, you know, I'm trying to write the, the sequel to Trelawney and um, I find it quite difficult to concentrate. Ed and I were talking about um, Trelawney earlier and given, you know, Cornwall's already had such a sort of smash hit on Poldark and everything, have you been, have you had people circling for film and TV rights? Thank you. Well, I, there was there was a bit of a circle going on. And I have to tell you that, that all planes have landed. I'm waiting for them to take off and circle around again. Um, there was quite, <laughs> it was really, it, it came out of the traps, like, you know, like a kind of rocket, you know, got fantastically good sales. There were all these very glamorous kind of um, offers, which I kept thinking, my goodness me, you know, this is exciting. I'm going to be you know, on location in, I don't know where, St. Ives or somewhere. Um, and then <laughs> literally sales have collapsed, aeroplanes have landed, offers are drying up. But I think it will come back. I think we have to be incredibly positive, don't we? That that actually this is a this is a blip, and life will start again. And the desire for you know things to see and to experience will will um, will overcome our fears. That's what I'm hoping, anyway. On a slightly crunching gear change, you've just given up mm. being chairman of the National Gallery. I have. How, at a sort of pivot for the National Gallery as well, because presumably you're exiting just as the National is having to come to terms with being closed. I mean, I find it bizarre that museums remain closed, because I'm sure you could do social distancing at museums. And also, it's got this unbelievable Titian exhibition going on at the oh. moment, which was years in preparation and took 500 years to put together. It That's must right. be unbelievably frustrating. Yes, I think the Titian was one of the casualties. Um, there was an extraordinary Raphael exhibition that was planned also for next year, which we've been working on for eight years, I think. Um, there's this, also this extraordinary Artemisia Gentileschi show, you know, what the first major show dedicated to a woman, uh, which was supposed to open um, in a, actually now, about now. And Titian, as you say, which was, I think the public had two days to see it before the gallery closed. There are rumours that... Um, the gallery plans to open in July, beginning of July, with strict social distancing and that um, other museums will follow. And what's been, I think, extremely heartening for people in museums is that when Germany opened theirs, I think it was last week or the week before, there were social distancing queues three or four times around the museums of people absolutely desperate to get in for a bit of culture. And I think we'll see that here. And boy, do we need to make the case for culture and for supporting culture and how essential it is for all of our well-being. Oh, well music said. to your ears, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> music to my ears. Well, we miss, I tell you what, I mean, just, you know, how much, Ed, Ed Vasey, you know, please come back. You are really properly missed by everybody in that sector. And I'm not just saying that, it's, it's, it's true. You know, we've got, to have, we've got to have these institutions open and running because what else is there to do? You know, what else is going to keep us cheerful? Well, I think um, 
hope hope will have to keep us cheerful and the hope that we will meet again in at hey 2021 and i guess hey 2022 will be the launch of the sequel to the house of trelawney let's hope <laughs> we wish you all the luck in the world with it hannah it sounds thank wonderful. you thank you and i love it so much really, i look forward to seeing you both before long so thank you very much for listening to our podcast on hey on wi-fi it was wonderful to have uh, the chance to chat with so many luminaries because we spent so much time on uh, books uh, this week we're going to refocus our efforts next week in pointing you to the best uh, online streaming tv shows art and music that will help you get through week 795 quarantine yes and please do log on to our website countryandtownhouse.co.uk where you'll find our weekly good newsletter and also all the information that you need to log on to the wonderful hay festival and so thank you thank you so much to our guests peter florence the director of hay on wi-fi ali aziri and and of course hannah rothschild talking about her brilliant book the house of trelawney 